The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Monday edition of the Leach Report. And I see tweets that the first batch of vaccinations are about to be put into put to work. Uh, it's a tweet from um, uh, UofL Hospital. I suspect we'll probably be seeing something out of uh, Lexington, someplace in Lexington at some point uh, before too long. And that is uh, a wonderful first step. Long journey yet to go, but uh, that is good news as we start this week. Uh, coming up on the show today, we're going to talk a lot of Kentucky basketball, obviously, and some football with the offensive coordinator search. David Sisk from Cats Illustrated will join us. Uh, ben Roberts from the Lexington Herald-Leader. And John Hale from the Courier-Journal. Wildcat news of the day is where we will get started. The Cats lost their fourth straight game on Saturday, falling at Rupp Arena to Notre Dame, 64-63. The 1-4 start is the worst start since the 84-85 team. Coach Hall's last team started out at 1-4. and And it was Notre Dame's first win in Rupp Arena. First win actually on a true home court for Kentucky um, by the Fighting Irish. Uh, they had won a few times at Freedom Hall over the years, but had never won on actually Kentucky's home court. Um, they were up 33-9 to at one point in the first half. Took a lead to the locker room of 48-26, the largest halftime home deficit ever for Kentucky. And then a turnaround. Kentucky uh, turned it around 180 degrees on defense and offensively was better. And if they could have been even better offensively, they might have won this game going away. Uh, they had uh, they were able to hold Notre Dame to 16 points in the second half, but Kentucky had some uh, long stretches where uh, the opportunity was there to, to catch up quicker or, again, even move ahead of Notre Dame, and they uh, had some series of possessions where they couldn't score as well. So they're still a work in progress very much offensively. Uh, defensively, they played uh, tremendously in the second half. Terrence Clark uh, was at the starting point guard, and John Calipari suggested after the game that he liked what he saw and that they'll continue that way. Uh, I think it's a way that they can put stress on the defense. We'll talk about this with uh, our guests as we uh, move through the show today, but I like the move. I think it... Um, Makes the pieces fit together better at this point. Uh, Devin Askew, maybe he could still uh, win the job back. I remember uh, that played out that way, I think, for uh, Wayne Turner early in his career where uh, they uh, he was the starting point guard, then wasn't for a stretch, and then they came back to him late in the season. Um, Davion Mintz got his first start but was playing off the wing. And I thought Askew played uh, pretty well, actually, as well, coming off the bench. So he uh, took the... Uh, Demotion very well. Uh, Keon Brooks, I think, is just going to uh, enhance the pieces fitting together better when they uh, are able to get him back. 
Kentucky will take on UCLA on Saturday at 2 Eastern time. That will be up in Cleveland, but uh, no fans are going to be there for that one. So I think there's supposed to be some bad weather up that way, but you won't have to deal with it because you're not going to be able to go. Uh, But Kentucky and UCLA and the Bruins uh, play tomorrow night. They've won five straight. Kentucky coach Mark Stoops, a lot of folks thinking that he is uh, going to make the call on his offensive coordinator sometime here in the next couple of days. Um, We'll see. Then there are four names that uh, are being reported as the top contenders. Joe Moorhead, the former Mississippi State coach who is the OC at Oregon. Uh, Liam Cohen, who is on the Rams staff, not a coordinator, but um, on the Rams staff. Brian Brom, the former UofL quarterback. Uh, He is uh, an offensive coordinator with his brother, Jeff, at Purdue. And Bush Hamden, who is uh, the OC at Missouri. Now, footballscoop.com has a report out. Uh, where they quote sources they talked to yesterday that say Cohen and Brom are the leading candidates. Uh, other places, uh, you'll see that uh, Joe Moorhead is more of a you know first choice on the list. The thing I would say is I don't doubt that the names are probably uh, accurate, even though Mark Stoops said he was going to keep very keep this very close to his vest as he <clears throat> went through this process. Um, he can't control what gets you know leaked out from from other folks. So I suspect the names are correct. Now, what may uh, get held in check is where the thing that Stoops can control is who he's leaning to and how he ranks these guys and who he who would be his first choice. So um, you'll I would maybe be less certain of that speculation when you see it as opposed to just the names themselves. Kentucky women beat Samford 88-54. to The ninth-ranked Kentucky women had 11 threes and 23 assists in the win at Memorial Coliseum. A very balanced attack. Chastity Patterson uh, was the leading scorer with 16, and she also had seven steals. And I was happy to see Lynn Bowden had a big game for the Chiefs with, uh, or against the Chiefs for the Dolphins with seven catches for 82 yards. So he has taken on a more prominent role there with Miami. Going to get to a break. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll talk with Coach David Sisk when we come right back. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. On the edition of the Leach Report, we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Coach David Sisk. He writes for Cats Illustrated, and we want to talk a little Kentucky basketball. And specifically, we'll start with the move of Terrence Clark to the point. And it sounds like from what Cal said, uh, David, this is going to um, be how it's going to be for the time being anyway. Um, what did you think of how it looked in the first test run? Well, I think there's going to be growing pains. And I think that's the case with just about any freshman point guard, especially if you probably have not played that position your your entire life. I mean, he's just not been a lifer at that spot, so... You know, he's going to have to learn on the fly, and, and there's going to be good and bad. I like him from that spot specifically. 
defensively. Because maybe he can make plays. He could maybe draw the defense and kick open shooters. I do worry about some of his decision-making at, at times. Uh, and, and that's going to be the thing that comes with it. He's got to learn what a good play is, what a bad play is. I thought at, uh, in some other previous games that his vision sometimes, I think he misses open players. He doesn't see them. He's got to learn how to see the whole court. And, and then, like I said, just, just decision-making, what pass to make, what pass not to make. So um, it, it's it's going to take a while. So I, I think people need to be patient. I guess that's not always our best virtue. Well, now, Mike Pratt and I were talking about this on a pregame uh, Saturday. Um, I said, to me, it feels a little like what the football team did with Lynn Bowden. They had lost their starting quarterback. In that case, you know, it was an injury. And then uh, the backup um, was injured and, uh, you know, was could 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 play if needed, but really was nowhere near uh, effective. Now, this is a different situation. It's not injury. It was just ineffectiveness at the point. But uh, the, the comparison being is that, uh, when they put Bowden in there, it just kind of put the ball in the hands of a playmaker a lot of the time, and it gave them an identity to build on. And still, to your point, it took a, a few weeks before it really started uh, hitting its stride uh, with that attack. But I, I see some similarities there. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And I think you have to remember this was probably not plan A. Well, it wasn't plan A, or they would have done it in opening game. Uh, but Devin Askew is, is, he's not ready for that spot yet. And, um, then you look at Davion Mintz and he never really played point guard at Creighton. He was off the ball more. So those two options just weren't working. And I think that Coach Cal threw a teaser out there in early games because he would run, um, Terrence at the point some. You know, they would have five, six, seven possessions a game where he would put him at that spot. So I think maybe a little bit of a test run, but maybe it was just a little foreshadowing that maybe he was kind of worried that uh, it would come to this. I think teams run best when the pieces fit together well, if that um, makes sense to you. And I think this, to me, um, seems like it makes the pieces fit better. Um, you can um, do a lot of pick-and-roll stuff. I think they could do a lot of stuff with Clark, kind of like they did with Shea Gilgis-Alexander when he emerged as you know, they thought Quade Green was going to be their point guard coming into that season, and it turned out it was, was Shea was the best way to go. And um, I think it, when they get Keon Brooks back, it'll be even better as far as the pieces fitting together because you could probably bring Jackson off the bench then as, a, as an energy guy and you know, still play you know, probably the similar number of minutes uh, and you're probably going to you know, end up with about a six- or a seven-man rotation, seven when you get Brooks back. Yeah, and I think you get it the nail on the head, but I think it's going to be interesting, too, on what offense they decide to run, because I, I just don't think it could be the Tyler Hero, Sheldon Johnson look where you're running what we call floppies or baseline screens or run somebody over the top or you're running all these sets around two posts. Um, you know, we started... Travis Graff and I really started talking about it about a week ago that you can't play probably offensively and have your best look play uh, Isaiah and, and Olivier Starr together because just the teams are going to pack it in. And they've got to find some way to get the offense into space. 
The playing Terrence at the point, I think, does that because I just don't think Devin and uh, Davion can get anywhere off the ball screen. I think they have trouble with penetration. So Terrence gives them more of that look. Now if you can put shooters out on the wings, I think they've got guys. B.J. Boston, I think, can make shots. He hasn't yet on the outside. I think Mitz can make shots. I think if Estes in a high spot, he can make them. So, you know, it kind of – kind of spread the floor for them, but I wonder, too, if you put Keon at the four, you know, that's been a missing link, obviously, the only player of any experience. If you put him at the four, can he stretch the floor? That's what I want to see. Not necessarily just going smaller, because I think they're going to give up a little bit defensively by making that move, because you've got two guys that are really long and rim protect. But on the offensive end, you know, Keon was not a guy who stepped out and shot the ball last year. If his deal is just doing dirty work in the paint and things like that and play down on the block, I don't think it helps that much offensively. He's going, he's going to have to be able to stretch the floor a little bit. He looked to me like in, in uh, preseason stuff and pro days, things like that, his shot was better. So we're just going to have to see how that goes. Yeah, to me, they've, uh, they can be really good defensively and, and they can be a, you know, a good team. Uh, with a really good defense, but to be anywhere near what they want to be, I mean, they, they've had four straight games under 65 points. They got to be able to score, and um, yeah. I think this gets them moving in that direction. They got 37 points in the second half against Notre Dame, and that was the second best scoring half they've had this season. Tom, if I put a summary, and I was hoping you would bring that up, my feeling really since about the Kansas game has been, I feel like this team can be elite defensively. And I stick by that. Not good, but I think really good to great on the defensive end. I think we saw that the second half yesterday. They held Notre Dame to 28% shooting, I think 16 points in the second half. We've seen it this year in spurts. We saw it against Kansas. I just thought they were tremendous in that game. And, and they can do this. And I think it's going to be one of those teams where the defense, and Calipari's comfortable with this, it's defense first. Defense drives the offense. But I like those numbers that you said. I think 65 is the magic number now. They need to find, they've got to keep teams under that, and they need to find a way offensively to get to that point. In the four losses, they give up 62, 63, 63, 64. And I go to the offensive end. You know, I said after the game yesterday, I was thinking, I said, man, they've got to find some way to get Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, and Olivier Sard combined for at least 50 points. So I look up, and they had 50 points, and they get beat. So uh, if you look, they those three had 50 of the 63. If you throw Davion Mintz and his seven in there, that's 57 out of 63. So the rest of the team, he only had six points. So I don't know. Hopefully this move will Clark, but I don't know if the big three has to score more. I don't know if they have to get more for the help. There's still a lot of things right now they got to figure out. That's where maybe when they get uh, Brooks back, he can uh, hopefully provide some of that as well. You can read him at CatsIllustrated.com, and on Twitter it's, what, at Coach David Sisk? Yes, it is. There you go. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you, buddy. It's David Sisk joining us here on the Leach Report on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We'll be right back with Ben Roberts.
You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. You've got to kiss an angel good morning. Let her know you think about her when you're gone. Sad to see about the passing of country music legend Charlie Pride at uh, 86, I think it was, from uh, complications with uh, the coronavirus. He was one of my dad's uh, favorites. And uh, reading a little bit about him, I knew he was a really good baseball player before he got into uh, being a country music singer. And um, he was a pitcher in the Negro Leagues and at one point played for a team called the Louisville Clippers. And then um, I don't think he made it to the majors, but he did uh, play minor league baseball uh, a little later. And at one point he was uh, on a team that was an affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, And I think it was an injury that he said took a little mustard off his fastball that uh, ended his baseball career. Ben Roberts joins us now on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline from the Lexington Herald-Leader at KentuckySports.com. Charlie Pride's a little before your time, right? Uh, well, yeah, a little a little before my time. <laughs> I, I was a fan, though, and yeah, you, you mentioned the baseball. I've watched a, I don't remember the name of it. I watched a little documentary a year or two ago, and I, I had no idea about his baseball past until I saw that, and they, they spent a few minutes on it. It was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, to be a, a professional baseball player and then to be a, you know, Hall of Fame singer, uh, talented guy. Yes, no no doubt about that. Uh, I saw one of, I was just scrolling through your Twitter timeline to see if there's anything particular I would want to touch on with you that you'd been writing or talking about it. At one point in the second half, you tweeted out, Kentucky looks like a basketball team in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> what What were you seeing that was encouraging? Oh, I mean, defensive intensity. I just, I, you know, a tell of two halves is such a cliche in sports in general, but I feel like especially in college basketball. But uh, do you remember two halves like the ones we saw over the weekend? I, I mean, they looked completely lost. They looked like a group of guys who never met each other in that first half, and then they come out in the second half, and, and it's a completely different team. I, I just don't – as many young teams and inexperienced teams that Calipari has had, I don't quite remember seeing something quite like that. Don't remember it so much with a Cal team. Probably the best example or closest might have been the game up at West Virginia when they were down, I think, 15 at the half. Yeah. But I think about the uh, the famous 31-point comeback at LSU. Uh, and then the other one was, um, and there was an anniversary of this last week when Patrick Sparks hit the three free throws to beat Louisville. They were down, I think, 13. 52 to 16 at halftime and uh, came out and just looked completely different in the second half. We'll get into more about uh, Kentucky basketball with Ben Roberts when we come right back. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. From the Clark's Puppet Shop studio, it is the Monday edition of the Leach Report. Ben Roberts on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline with us to uh, talk a little Kentucky basketball. Um, the uh, loss to Notre Dame, um, you can find some encouragement if you're a Kentucky fan in the second half. Um, you know, it's uh, at, at one and four, um, is, there's not much excuse for th- for that start uh, from the Kentucky fan perspective, but if you are looking for encouragement, you could find some in the second half. We talked about the defensive intensity. Also, what did you think about the uh, Terrence Clark at point guard switch? Uh, it seems to be um, 
for the time being, the direction Cal's going to go. Uh, what'd you think about how it looked? Yeah, I mean, through the first few games, I, I think it's basically his only choice at this point. I, there are there are certainly some kinks Saturday, and there, there's going to be some hangups moving forward with that. But you know, it's just looking at those first three or four games, I, I just didn't see anybody else who could penetrate a defense from the perimeter. Um, Devin Askew, that has never really been his strong suit and you know i people keep coming back to it but it's a very valid excuse that he just didn't have that regular preseason didn't have the exhibition games didn't really have much time at all to get acquainted with these new teammates it's going to take some time with him and then brandon boston jr's always played with a really good point guard other guys who could could penetrate kind of create some action and and then he does stuff off the ball so he's not really that guy who excels at breaking people down and, and going. And, you know, Davion can do it a little, but Terrence clearly is the guy who can do that. Now, once he gets past that first layer, he's got to make the right decisions. He can't force shots. He's got to make good passes, not like that behind-the-shoulder thing he did uh, Saturday. Um, so it's going to take some time to work out. But, you know, right now I just don't see that Cal has any much, much other choice at the moment. Yeah, I think – you have to be able to to put some stress on the defense, and so that's one reason why I like it. The other thing I said, and I'll, I'll see uh, if, if you see any uh, anything in this take because uh, I was talking about with David Sisk earlier too. I, I see some similarity to the uh, Lynn Bowden uh, move to quarterback with a football team last year in that they uh, didn't really have much of a way to to cause many problems for the defense. And all of a sudden, you put the the guy who was the best at making plays and he gets to touch the ball the most, and all of a sudden, you you look like you have an identity and you look like you can uh, put some pressure on the defense. But in saying that, it took Bowden a couple of, couple of weeks of playing that quarterback spot to really get uh, into a groove. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a great and interesting point. Uh, yeah, but I think we're going to need a few more days, a couple more weeks to figure out how how this is going to look. Uh, you know, I, the flip side of that, and I think the nightmare scenario for Kentucky fans is is Archie Goodwin and and what we saw when when basically Kyle had to take the ball out of Ryan Harrow's hand several years ago and give it to Archie, and that did not work out as well. I could see this kind of heading in that direction. That said, I, I think Terrence has a lot more dynamic offensive weapons around him just some other guys need to step up uh, Archie didn't have quite the players that that Terrence has um, but just you know some of these guys have, have to click and, and they just haven't had a whole lot of time to do that yet the other thing with with Archie I think when when the ball came into his hands he was like a fighter pilot with a radar lock on a target yeah, and it was the basket. And that, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that he saw anybody else out there. I saw some signs of Clark, and he made some turnovers, especially early. But he also had a couple of nice uh, pick and roll plays with Olivier. Uh, I saw some indication out of him that he acknowledged there were other guys out there that he ought to try to include. Yeah, and I think just from talking to him way back early in his recruitment, even way before he committed to Kentucky, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder about being a point guard. You know, everybody kind of in in recruiting circles and in high school basketball wants to play a position down, and he was always listed as a shooting guard or even a small forward. But he wants to prove he could be a point guard. He actually looked at Memphis and talked to Penny Hardaway quite a bit about that as a recruit, that, you know, Penny was that bigger more dynamic point guard that maybe people didn't think was a point guard 
super early in his basketball life and, and proved himself to be. Terrence wants very much wants to be that and wants to, to be that in the NBA and, and wants to prove that. So, yeah, Archie, once he started moving toward the basket, that ball was going at the basket. It, it didn't always go in. It Sometimes it rarely went in. Terrence, I think, will be looking for, for other guys and, and trying to get other people involved. And, again, he's got a lot of talent around him. It just need, They just need to figure out how to use it, I guess. I think having that mindset that you uh, talked about uh, is even more reason for optimism, at least, or hope that uh, this could work. What about uh, Brandon Boston? Very uh, touted, highly touted player coming in. Um, he has scored in double figures in every game, but uh, is um, strug- seems to be struggling offensively. Um, you saw him play a lot, I'm sure, coming in. What's what's your take on where he is and what he can be? Yeah, it's interesting because I saw him in a lot of different environments. And when I saw him, he played next to Sharif Cooper, who we haven't been able to see. But you know, if people would have been able to watch Sharif Cooper at Auburn this season, I think uh, anything close to a neutral fan would have loved him because he's so great on the ball. And he's able to get other people involved. And Brandon would play off of Sharif and and just create that space and put himself in a position to where he got the ball to make a play, whether it be creating separation for a shot or getting the defender a little out of position and then going by him once he got the ball in his hands. He was always ready, it seemed like. And then he he had people on his high school team that, that were five-star guys that could, that could penetrate, and he could do the same thing off them. Now, I saw him in, in settings like Top 100 Camp where he's going in with all new guys, Nobody's really on the same page. They're kind of just making teams up as they go along and, and scrimmaging for the most part. And I would talk to the guys who make the rankings after those games, which were very ugly, and they were like, is this guy, do we have him ranked way too high? Because he's not making good decisions. We don't really know what he is. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. You, you can see the talent, but it's not pointed anywhere. It's He's, he's kind of out there, and he's, you know he's clearly trying to do the best he can. I think he's putting forth effort, but it's 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 not pointed at anything. And and I think getting him on the right page and, and trying to figure out what his identity is on this team is going to be a major, major, major thing for uh, for this team in particular to move forward. From listening to what you're saying and watching these guys, it sounds like if I'm a Kentucky fan, I'm saying the better Clark gets at the point, the better Boston's going to get. Yeah, I think so. I think anytime you can you can get that guy who can get in the paint and kind of jumble up that defense a little, I think I think Brandon just has a natural ability to recognize that, and then he moves and makes and, and puts himself in a position to where okay, if I get it, I'm going to shoot it, or wherever this defender is, I'm going to go by him and make something else happen. And you know, he can pass too. We haven't seen that as much yet, but he is a really he's a really terrific passer, especially headed toward the basket. So. You know, this whole team, I think, boils down to they didn't get that preseason. They didn't get all those practices together. They didn't get that summer together that all these Calipari teams in the past have gotten. And still those teams struggle despite all that time together. So this team's getting none of that. So, you know, I don't know that I was expecting one and four, but you were certainly expecting some discombobulation that we've seen so far. Yeah, this was the worst time ever to have a completely new team to lose your one returning guy to an injury, Keon Brooks, and to have some staff turnover. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I talked to Devin and Lance for some preseason stories and you know, I want to say, like, early November. And at that point, these guys would have 
spent, you know, so many hours together, either on their own or with the staff. And, it, you know, at that point, I think they, they told me that they'd only really been in the gym together as a full team three or four times, um, which, you know, you just you can't get on the same page when, when that's the situation. And, and that's what we continue to see uh, as the season goes on. Ben, thank you much. Yep, thanks, Tom. You can read him at KentuckySports.com, among other things, does the Next Cats recruiting page. John Hale from the Courier-Journal will join us next. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. They still have the heated patio seating, but now you'll be able to go back inside uh, at uh, limited capacity and enjoy your breakfast or brunch at Wild Eggs. And you can still do curbside pickup, too, from Wild Eggs of Lexington in Hamburg and Palomar. We'll be right back. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. To go, but some strides. We played through Olivier today. So guys that are shooting 12% from the three and 30% from the floor, you're not getting the ball as much. I'm sorry. That ball's going to Olivier. That ball will go to Isaiah maybe. Maybe we'll go pick and roll. But, like, again, how we're going to play is going to develop now that Terrence is playing point. That was John Calipari after the game on Saturday. John Hale joins us now on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Do you think they found an identity offensively on Saturday, John? I think they found at least progress. Um, I'm not sure that you can take a loss and say that they fixed all the issues, but in that second half, um, they looked much better. I didn't think the Clark point guard experiment was, you know, a complete success. I mean, I thought it was interesting back when we asked last week about that year at Memphis when Cal basically made the same decision with Tyreek Evans, who was not really a point guard, but then they decided just to put the ball in his hands. Cal said after that first game, he told his assistants, well, he had it 75% of the time today. He needs it 85%. I don't know if he had that same conclusion after watching uh, Clark on Saturday, but the offense at least looked better with him uh, as kind of the lead ball handler, and, and I think that that's something to build on. I think we've known throughout the, the losing streak that, that Olivier Sar is their best offensive weapon right now, and you have to play through him. And, and they at least got him the ball more on Saturday. So if that was because Clark was at point guard, if it was something else, I don't know. But but that's certainly what they need to build on moving forward. Now, the only thing that makes you a little uncomfortable about uh, needing to play through Olivier is his propensity for getting into foul trouble. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big deal, and, and it's one of the – many, many reasons that it's so important that they get Keon Brooks back at some point, that just to have another option out there, because um, I, I mean, I think Isaiah Jackson's obviously very, very talented, and I don't know that he's a guy you throw it to in the post and expect him to get a basket as much as he can you know, work off other things and score, whether it's catching lobs or you know, he's got that nice mid-range jumper, but he's not a back-to-the-basket you know, post-move kind of guy yet, and, and Olivier has to stay on the floor. Uh, it was important that he did that on Saturday, um, it's something that he's going to have to always be cognizant of. Um, I mean, foul trouble wasn't really the issue against Georgia Tech. He just wasn't very good that day, and, and they just cannot afford him to have off nights right now because he and, and, and Mentz are their only two experienced guys, and, and they need those guys to kind of carry the load or a greater share of the load at least as these young freshmen you know learn on the fly. Don't think there are too many fans that are spending a whole lot of time looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology yet, but um, you wrote today for courier-journal.com about 
the long-term look ahead to Selection Sunday and uh, if uh, you know what what the risk is of Kentucky not being a part of it and what it'll take to get there. Uh, so I'll let you elaborate. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's just you're one and four, and you you have a real chance if you don't figure things out quickly to be one and six. I mean, I don't think anybody would be shocked by that right now, based on the way they're playing. And with UCLA's won five in a row, they just got Johnny Duzang back from an injury. Louisville's ranked now, uh, going on the road for the first time, and it's not a the typical hostile environment, but it's at least a road game. So they could easily lose both those games before SEC play, and then you've got to figure out how to get plus five in league play just to get above 500 and uh, i think that in a normal year you would think that's certainly easy but this year there are going to be postponements uh the the league schedule only has one makeup date built in there and, and i'm sure they'll end up moving some games around like they've done in football so many times but you might lose the opportunity for a marquee victory here or there based on uh, COVID uh, postponement. So it's, it's all a concern. I mean, they, they could easily put this conversation to rest by just beating UCLA and Louisville and using that second half against Notre Dame to kind of figure things out. But it's it's not too early, I think, to worry. Ken Palm right now has them projected to finish under 500. I think like 12 and 14 or something like that. And obviously, it's just small sample size. The, the, that formula kind of normalizes over the course of the season when you get more data. But it's at least something to look at, and, and they've got to figure it out quickly. I mean, the SEC is, I think, better than it has been uh, at times over the last decade, but it's not like they're just game after game after game to build your resume up. Um, they've got two teams ranked in the top 25 right now, probably just one uh, after Florida drops out. So that's, it's just it's just, it's early, um, and Cal always has his teams peaking in the right time uh, going into March, and I, I still expect this team to do that, but the hole they've dug right now is, is big, and it's something that they've got to start addressing quickly. Let's shift gears to football and the offensive coordinator search. Um, there are four names that have been mentioned uh, in various reports that I've seen. Joe Moorhead, Liam Cohen from the NFL, Brian Brom, and uh, Bush Hamden. Um, and um, also reports that this announcement or the decision may come from Mark Stoops sometime here in the next few days. Uh, from what you're hearing, are those reports on the money? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think the interesting name from that group to me is is definitely Cohen, the, the Rams uh, assistant QB coach. Uh, he was a guy who has coordinator experience in college at a lower level in the SCS in New England. Uh, it's interesting. He's from Rhode Island. Uh, Kentucky, I think, would have to be the first uh, SEC program in, in history to have both coordinators from Rhode Island, if that's the way that they uh, they end up going with hiring him. But uh, he's he's attached to that Rams offense, which is kind of, you know, taken over the NFL and, and so many different teams. You look at the Bengals when they hired Zach Taylor, who wanted a piece of that. And if Kentucky could do that, I think it would be a huge message to recruits and your current players and, and all that about the, the future of the offense. The other guys on that list are all interesting, too. I mean, I think Joe Moorhead would uh, would have to be your first option, a guy with SEC head coaching experience who has run really dynamic offenses, is the home run kind of higher, but I also think he's probably going to have – no shortage of opportunities, and, and can Kentucky afford to wait on him? I don't know. I mean, uh, his his boss right now, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, is being mentioned for the Auburn opening. Does that complicate things? It, it, I think it was important for Mark to get this head start as these other teams are still out there finishing their seasons uh, to start looking at guys because as we see more jobs open, and a bunch of them did yesterday, um, these uh, the various candidates are going to have other opportunities. and 
I think it's maybe not even essential that they get somebody hired by signing day on Wednesday, but it's at least a, a really important thing that you can go to that recruiting class and tell them a vision for what you're going to do moving forward. Different protocols with college guys and then trying to hire an NFL guy. Do you know any potential issues with uh, pursuing an NFL guy? In terms, of, I was, you know, would he not be available say till the season's over? I assume that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I thought about that too, but I, I do think that if you're going to do it this year, is the one that it makes the most sense because you can't have recruits on campus anyway. You can't have any of that stuff. There, um, I don't think anybody they're going to hire is going to come and, and call plays in the bowl game. Most likely, it's not like you would put in an entire new offense in the week plus of practices they're going to end up having before that game. So he could, if they, if Cohen's the guy they hired, he could stay in LA and coach there and still participate in Zoom calls and all those other things. Since everything's done virtually this year anyway, I think that's less of a concern than it normally would be. But it, it is at least a concern and something that they're going to have to weigh. John Hale, you can read him at courier journal.com at John Hale underscore CJ on Twitter. Thank you. Anytime. He joins us via the Kentucky com hotline. We'll get to a break and wrap it up after this timeout. Stay a Wildcat history presented by the new Rave On app. And it was on this day that Kentucky played its last regular season game at the Palestra up in Philly, one of the all time famous college basketball venues. Cats won 102 78 with Dan Issel going for 26 and 16, Mike Casey adding 18. Kentucky was 5 and 1, or is 5 and 1 all time at the Palestra. Don't know if they'll play any time there again soon. They did play an NCAA tournament game there later in 77 and beat Princeton. Uh, it was sad to see the news about the passing of Bird Averett. He's a Hopkinsville, Kentucky native. Went to Pepperdine, led the nation in scoring in 73 at just under 34 points a game, and played for the Kentucky Colonels. In fact, was on the championship team for the Colonels in 75. Uh, very uh, crafty, little lefty, great, great score. Um, so sad to see that uh, news. Have a good day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to LeachReport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on the 